And I'm not trying to just lengthen out 1 Kings 18, but it's so good I don't want to miss any of it. On the road and the results of revival. On Mount Carmel, where the power of God came down. And when God comes down and the fire comes down, two things always happen. God is glorified and the enemy is defeated. I believe in this day and hour, more than ever, we need to glorify our Heavenly Father. Lift Him up high to a lost and a dying world. And I've never known a day in my short 60 years that the evil tide of evil needs to be turned anymore. For our children's sake, man, let's get God on the scene and pray the power will come down. Again, this morning, I emphasize this is another passage where the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man are not at odds, but they're holding hands. It's a sovereign act of God that sends the fire. It's a sovereign act of God that sends the power. It's a sovereign act of God when God reaches down and saves a sinner. But man is responsible to receive Christ, to repent of his sins, to call upon the name of the Lord. In the white heat of preaching this morning, I made a statement, and I, I hope it didn't go over your head. It about went over mine, and I caught it about 2.30. God's never saved anybody that didn't ask him to. God's never forced anybody into salvation. He's never saved anybody that didn't ask him to. But he has saved everybody that asked him to. Well, in this text, I see the sovereignty of God. God sending the fire God sending the power, but I also see that Elijah, now listen to this text, he was willing to prepare. And listen to this, he was willing to pay the price to see God move on his land and on his nation. And there are several things that Elijah did and we must do before we see revival. Last Sunday morning we made this statement, a stand was taken. He had to take a stand and tell the king, We're done with compromise. Last Sunday evening, we looked at the second thing he did. A choice or a decision had to be made. He said, it's time to decide whose side that we're on. If Baal's God, then you serve him. But if God's God, draw the line and cross it. Make a choice. And I want to say again, nobody has ever lived for God that did not make a daily choice to do so. I believe we could see God move again in 2023 like he did for our forefathers if we'll make the choice, make that decision. And this morning we begin on number three, a sacrifice had to be prepared. He had to pay the price to see God move in his life. And there are several things in our text tonight that we see Elijah did in preparing the sacrifice. We covered one of them this morning in verse number 30. Remember, he repaired the altar that was broken. He had to go back and fix what false religion had messed up. He let those 450 prophets of Baal for four to six hours call on their dead, uh, fairy tale, frivolous God. And by the time they got through with all of their religious motions that wasn't nowhere near right or God, the altar was torn down and Elijah had to go back and repair, listen, 
Not what alcohol had destroyed, not what abortion had destroyed, not what homosexuality had destroyed. He had to go back and fix what false religion had torn down. And I'll tell you, your pastors had it up to here with the false religion of our day. And just because it's a building with a steeple on top and they got a preacher and a Bible in his hand that he don't even believe, don't make them a real church. We need to restore the dignity and the honor and the salt and the light of God's church in this day in which we live. My daddy used to say, the world has got so churchy and the church has got so worldly, you can't tell who's what. And brother, we need to clean it up. Can I get a witness into church? He was repairing the altars that the enemy, the false religionists, had destroyed. I want to come tonight to the second thing that he had to do to prepare the sacrifice. And you'll find it tonight in verse number 31 and verse number 32. As he began to repair the altar, watch what happens in 31 and 32. And Elijah took 12 stones. Now underline that word 12 in your Bible. It's going to get real big in a minute. And he took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Judah, under whom, watch this now, the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar. And I want you to say this little line out loud with me because this makes the difference. And with the twelve stones he built an altar. Say it with me now. In the name of the Lord. We could call recess and preach right there about 30 minutes. In fact, we might could call recess right there and preach about 30 years. He did it in the name of the Lord. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provided. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that he lived thee. Jehovah Nessai, the Lord our banner. Mm. El Shaddai, the almighty God of heaven and earth. My. The rock, the shield, the high tower, the refuge, the strength, the buckler. The everlasting, the everlasting. The mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Counselor, the Everlasting Father. Glory. He did it in the name of the Lord. Took him 12 stones and built an altar in the name of the Lord. And made a trench or a ditch about the altar. And a, <laughs> as great as it would contain two measures of seed. Now a measure of seed was three gallons or so two measures is... Uh, Six gallons. So that ditch had to be big enough to fill a whole six gallons of seed. But watch what happens now in verse number 33. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time, and they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time, and they did it the third time. And the water ran about the altar and filled the trenches also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art the God in Israel, 
and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and thou hast turned their hearts back again. Verse 38, then and only then, you ready? Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trenches. And when all the people saw it, saw it, when they saw the fire of God fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. When they recognized that God had moved in mighty power. Now, what role did Elijah play? Well, he did some work. He had to sweat at the job. And ladies and gentlemen, to see God move again, it's not going to happen haphazardly. We're going to have to work. We're going to have to pray. We're going to have to do our part to see God move again. And revival and seeing the power of God is not easy. It's hard work. But brother, I believe when the fire of God falls, it is worth every prayer. It is worth every sacrifice. It is worth every effort. When God answers prayer and when God goes to saving sinners and reviving saints and the church comes out of the closet and stands out on the battlefield in the name of the Lord, it may be hard work, but it's worth it all to see the power and the blessings of God. This morning as he prepared that sacrifice, yes, he had to rebuild the altar that false religion had torn down. Now, there's something else in our text tonight that that he did that just speaks volumes to me. He went and he got 12 stones. When he set that altar in order, he built it back with 12 stones. Now, have you ever noticed how big the number 12 is in the Bible? You say, well, it goes back to the 12 sons of Jacob that became the 12 tribes of Israel. Yes, but it also takes you to Elam where there were 70 palm trees and 12 wells of water. It also takes you into the New Testament where that woman had an issue of blood for 12 years. And as he's going to heal the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years, he raises a little girl from her sick bed that's been alive for 12 years. And it takes you to the 12 disciples and it takes you to the 12 apostles that got full of God. And it even, and you fought, boy, the Bible's awesome. And you follow that number and it takes you to the new Jerusalem where there's 12 foundations on the 12 stones. But I'm wondering why Elijah is doing the 12 stones. Well, do you remember the 12 stones mentioned the first time? Can anybody tell me where 12 stones are mentioned for the first time? In the book of Joshua, after Israel had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, 
They finally crossed over the river Jordan, got on the other side of the land of Canaan. And the Bible said, and they set up 12 stones. And this little word is thrown in there as a memorial. It said, so when your children and your children's children in days to come, glory, when they come by and see them 12 stones, they're going to ask you, what mean these stones? And when they ask you, what mean these stones, you are to rehearse in them our story. How our forefathers were in bondage, but they cried unto the Lord, and the Lord sent them a deliverer. And one day the Paschal Lamb was offered and his blood was put on the door. And as the death angel passed through the land of Egypt, those that were behind the blood were saved. And when that blood-bought group of people came out of the land of Egypt and they got to the Red Sea, and the Red Sea was in front and the Meridian Desert was on the right, and the mountains was on, uh, Paran was on the left. And Pharaoh's army was pursuing in the back. God caused the wind to blow. And he made a dry path through the Red Sea. And Pharaoh's army pursuing got drowned in the Red Sea. And we came out on the other side victorious because our God is the delivering God. Lord, somebody help me right there. And they said, every time you look at them 12 stones, it'll be a reminder. Well, here Elijah is several hundred years later. They forgot the blessings of God. They broke the heart of God. They transgressed the laws of God. And apostasy was the rule of the day. But Elijah said, only God can turn this thing around. And I'm going to fix what false religion has destroyed. I'm about to have me a spell. And he said, I'm going to do it with some stones. And I want to tell you something. He could have did it with one stone. Represents unity. He could have did it with two stones. That represents the witness. He could have did it with three stones. That represents the trinity. He could have did it with four stones. That represents the four gospels. He could have did five stones, which represents the number of grace. He could have used six stones that God's the forgiver of sin. He could have used seven stones. I'm having me a time. Seven stones that he is a God of divine completion. He could have used eight stones, the number of new beginning. God has a new beginning. He could have used nine stones, the fruit of the Spirit. He could have used ten stones, the number of government. There's no government that can stop revival. He could have used eleven stones, the number of disorder. There is no disorder that's bigger than revival. But he used twelve. Twelve stones. Twelve stones. Where did you get the idea, Elijah, to use twelve stones? I believe his mind is going back to brother Joshua. When they came out of bondage, when they came out of judgment, when they came out of Egyptian rule, they set up them stones to remind them. The blood still saves. 
God still answers prayer. God's bigger than the enemy. God leads to a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. That God's bigger than the devil and God's bigger than our past. Glory to God. And so I believe when Elijah, somebody help me now. I believe when Elijah is stacking them stones upon that altar, he's rehearsing in his mind. God answered Moses' prayer and he'll answer mine. God didn't leave his people in bondage and he's not going to leave us in bondage. God's able to move back then and God's still able to move. The blood did it the last time and the blood will do it the second time. God delivered and separated the waters of despair then and he can do it now. And the enemy got defeated then and God's able to defeat the enemy now. You say, preacher, what are you saying? Forget what dead religion has done. Let's build back the altar. And while we're building it back, let's let the next generation know that God still answers prayer. The blood still saves. God still delivers. And what a mighty God we serve. Hallelujah. And he's building them stones. And I believe he may have been singing a verse or two of precious memory. There's a man in this town that used to pastor about an hour from here. And he said to me one night in a meeting, as sincere as he could be, he said, Joe, I love you. And Julie, you are right. Most people that preface that with we love you, what comes after that is everything but love. Brother Joe, I love you and I believe you're a good boy. I wish somebody would tell me I'm a good boy again. And he said, son, I believe you're a fine, sincere young man. He said, but Joe, I feel like I need to tell you, you're beating a dead horse. You're climbing up a tree that has no ending. He said, you're trying to preach the old-fashioned gospel. Bless God, at least he knew that. And he said, and you're trying to preach in the old-time way. He said, son, let me tell you something. Metro Atlanta ain't into that. He said, Metro Atlanta ain't heard Holy Ghost preaching in so long. They don't even know it when they hear it. And before I thought, I fired back and said, those who've heard it know the difference. Can I just take a little survey tonight? Anybody in this room ever heard Bible preaching, Holy Ghost anointed preaching? You know the difference. He said, well, son, I just need to tell you, and I don't mean to hurt you. When somebody tells you that, what's coming is going to hurt you. You and your wife would be better off if you packed your stuff and moved back to the country where you're from. It ain't going to happen around here. Well, I want to tell you, we ain't got a mega church, but I believe we got some people in this room tonight. God means everything to you, and the Word of God means everything to you, and Jesus Christ makes everything to you, and you didn't have to 
taste of the oil of God and the fire of God and you don't want the smoke of man-made religion. You want to get under the spout where the glory runs out. Don't accuse me of living in the past. Don't accuse me of beating a dead horse. I'll be to tell you the Bible is still the Word of God and Jesus is still Lord and the blood's never lost its power and the gospel still works. Let's erect some stones on the altar of God that gives God the glory and give us none of the glory. Hallelujah. Glory to God right there. And so he's putting them stones. And he said, son, after you put them 12 stones up to remind us of the goodness of God, I need you to sweat a little bit. I want you to dig a ditch around that altar. And I want you to dig it deep enough that will hold six gallons of seed, two measures of seed. And then when you get that ditch dug, I want you to fill it with water. Now, I don't know how much you know about this, but usually fire and water don't mix. Last time I checked, the fire hydrant is out there to do what? To pull out the fire. We have somebody here that's done that. You pull up and you got a tanker because usually water puts out fire. And if I know that fake religious crowd, if they're like the religious crowd today, I bet they thought, Elijah's got something up his sleeve. I bet he's done built a secret little fire down there when we ain't been looking. He gonna pull a fast one on us. Elijah said, watch this. Fill it up with four barrels of water. In fact, go back again and four more barrels and go back again and four more barrels. That's 12 barrels. And would you figure out how much a barrel held in the Bible time was the equivalent of a measure, the equivalent of a jar. It's about 21 gallons of water. Now, where did they get that water from? You say, well, why do you bring that up? Remember, it hasn't rained in three years. Elijah's had to leave the brook because the brook dried up. I have been on top of this very mountain right here. And the only source of water, besides the little branches that's running through it, is down at the bottom of the mountain is the sea. Now, if it's not rained for twelve uh, for three years and all the streams are dried and the only source of water was the sea at the bottom of Mount Carmel, that meant them boys had to take them four jars down that mountain to the, to the sea, bring it back up, not one time, but two times, but three times. I'm telling you, that was a lot of hurt. That was a lot of work. That was a lot of sweat. That was a lot that went in. And God is saying, Elijah, I want you to prove to them it's a God thing that's about to happen. I want you to show them it ain't ElijahMinistries.com that's bringing this revival. You ain't got some little secret fire stashed up under that. Because just in case there's a little secret fire stashed up under that, 21 gallons of water is going to put out the fire. 
And by the way, Elijah, this fire ain't going to come up. This fire's going to come down. I'm going to show these people. It's a God thing I'm about to do. It's a sovereign thing I'm about to do. It's a miraculous thing I'm about to do. Man can't do this. Man can't do this. Now, I want to get carnal just a minute. I've often said this about Browning arms and Remington arms. They're often imitated, but never duplicated. May I say this about a Gibson guitar? You say, do you like fenders? Sure. Everybody ought to have one on the bumper of their car. But Gibson guitars are often emulated and copied, but never duplicated. Because they're in a class all by itself. If Big John was to run up here and get the microphone, he'd say forward. It's often imitated, but it's never duplicated. I don't know, a guy passed me in a Dodge the other night. I don't know what was on that hood, but I was going fast and he was going faster. Can I say this? The gospel. The Holy Ghost anointing of God. Whoop! I felt it when I said it. The gospel and the Holy Ghost anointing of God is often emulated. It is often simulated. But I want to tell you, honey, it is never, never, never duplicated. The Bible's been often emulated and imitated, but it has never been duplicated. Mm. Hallelujah. There is no equal with the Bible. There is no equal with the Holy Ghost. There is no equal to the gospel. There is no equal to the sovereign power of God. There is no equal, amen, to the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a God thing. It's a sovereign thing. He's going to show the world this ain't man's doing. This is God's doing. And I want to say this tonight. Whatever price we have to pay, whatever tears we have to shed, whatever blisters we have to bear, what hurt we have to go through to see the fire of God fall for the next generation, it's worth the effort to see God move. And so he's built the altar with the stones. He's dug the trench, 21 gallons of water flowing through that place. God wants you to do one more thing. Listen to this. Set in order the sacrifice. He said, cut the bullock in pieces and set the sacrifice in order. Now listen to me. If Elijah wasn't willing to set things in order on God's sacrificial altar, he'd have never seen the power of God. Listen to your preacher, and I'm going to hurry through, but listen to your preacher. The difference between a nominal Christian and a phenomenal Christian has, is setting in order your life on the sacrificial offer of God. Now listen to me. Salvation is free. Aren't you glad salvation is free? Man, I couldn't even buy one bit of it. Salvation is free. But if anybody that is saved lives the consecrated, victorious, spirit-filled, Holy Ghost anointed life, it will cost you 
It will cost you. It'll cost you some fun. It'll cost you some hobbies. It'll cost you some days. It may even cost you some fair weather friends. It may even cost you some family members. But whatever minuscule price you pay, to have the touch and the Holy Ghost of God moving in your life, it's worth every mile of the trip. I was talking to Clarence Sexton one day at Crown College and he was talking to some of us young men and his brother Tom and he made this statement. He said, God will use all of us to the measure that we're willing to accept responsibility. He said, God will use us to the degree that we're willing to sacrifice our lives. Can I bring it down to the nitty gritty? I know some people that pray for overtime so they can make more money. And one man that used to be a member of this church let the cat out of the bag. He said, I really don't need that extra money and that overtime that makes me miss church. But I need enough. This was the very words out of his mouth. But I need enough to buy one more toy. I need enough to buy one more toy. I got one boat, but I want a bigger one. I got two four-wheelers, but I want a third one. I got five shotguns, but I want a sixth one. I need to work just enough to get enough money to have one more toy. And when I get one more toy, I'm going to start living for God. That's been years. I said, that's been years. And as far as I know, he's still after that one more toy. But listen, if your kids die without God and go to hell, and America dies without God and go to hell, and they close the doors of churches everywhere, it wasn't worth that one more toy. It wasn't worth that one more little toy. I want to tell you something tonight. There are some things more important than our toys and our hobbies and our pleasures. It's the power of God and the unction of God and the Holy Spirit of God. Ladies and gentlemen, it's going to cost us something to live for God. I'm going to tell you tonight what's killing the average Baptist church. And I'm talking from pastors all over America that have confided in me. I'm going to tell you what's killing the average Baptist church. It's a round thing about that big. A round thing about that big. Or a half round thing about that big called a ball. And we got families that say they're saved and members of churches, they care more about their kids playing ball than going to church and going to Sunday school. Can I get a witness? Because I know my little Johnny is so wonderful. And I know my little Susie is so wonderful. They're going to make it to the big time. And I won't have to work when I get old. They're going to buy me a car. They're going to buy me a house. With all that big money they're going to make in the sports world, I doubt he's going to make it. I doubt she's going to make it. The odds is real slim. But I want to tell you glory to God. If one of your youngins gets saved, full of the power of God, and goes on to serve the Lord, Money cannot buy that. Money cannot buy that. 
Money cannot buy that. If you're taking notes tonight, write this down. Point number one, I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything I know. Point number two, I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything I know. Point number three, I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything I know. Point four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, one hundred, two hundred, nine hundred, nine thousand, nine million, nine trillion, nine infinity. Write her down, brother. I'd rather be an old-time Christian and have the Word of God and the Holy Ghost in my life and the Word of God in my soul. I'm here to tell you, let's pay the price. It's worth the dividend. Hmm. Woo! I feel good. I'm wore out, but I feel good. When he put that sacrifice in order on God's altar, oh my, I believe all of our lives need to be on the altar. Now I was in my study early this morning. I, I was in my little room where I read while Miss Arthur sleeps and I walk with God. And I try to keep my shouting to a minimal because you wake her up, all Holy Ghost leaves. Ain't that good, baby? Could we talk about it later? Sure. I'm in trouble. Jackie, can I go home with you tonight? Thank you, sir. But I sat in there in my little chair, meditating, chewing on it, gnawing on it. Glory. Hallelujah. Hey, boys, I hope when y'all grow up and get old and somebody say, what kind of preacher did you sit under when you was a kid? I hope you say an old-fashioned, Holy Ghost, five-row, spitting, sweating, Baptist preacher. Amen. Boy, I was thinking about it. God, what are you doing? Elijah's out there building that altar, repairing what false religion has tore down. He's got them 12 stones of precious memories. Man, I'm going to tell you something. I got a Jesus measle about that big running up down my spine. Scratch it for me, son. Praise God. That felt good. Do that one more time, big fella. Amen. Praise God. Now I said, God, he's building them 12 stones. He's got them digits. He's got them digits, Doug. All right, Brother Tom, you say that real quick. Okay, that's good. Got them ditches, Doug. I've been digging them. I've been dugging them ditches all day long. You preach as much as I preach, you're going to mispronounce something too. Amen, Tom. And man, he's got them ditches, Doug. He's got them, he's got them trenches, Doug. And he's got 21 barrels of water flowing, gall- 21 gallons of water flowing through there. The ground is saturated. The altar is saturated. Hallelujah. The sacrifice is saturated. I like that word saturated. The ground is saturated. The wood is saturated. The sacrifice is saturated. Saturated. It's all saturated. Say amen right there. Saturated with water. And man, and it hit me. It hit me. I had to run outside to shout. I think one of our neighbors called 911. But it hit me. Water in the Bible. Water in the Bible. Still water in the Bible. Represents the Word of God. The water in that brazen labor of the tabernacle represents the Word of God. Wells of water represents, steel water represents the Word of God. 
And he had saturated the altar. Mm. He had saturated the wood, saturated the sacrifice, saturated everything around it with water. I'm going to tell you when real revival comes, is when we get saturated mm, with the word of God. Oh, my Lord, this just hit me right here in front of you and God and everybody. It hadn't rained in three and a half years. That ground was parched and that ground was thirsty. And son, that, amen, that ground is a lapping up that saturation of what, oh, I want to tell you, I wonder if there's anybody in this tabernacle tonight, your heart is thirsty, your soul is thirsty for a saturation of the water of the word of God. But then it hit me. I had to go back to the basement and run on the treadmill and shout some more. Oh, not only was it still water laying in the trenches, but I read in our text tonight that when he threw that last four barrels of water on that on that sacrifice, the Bible said the water ran around the altar and ran through the trenches. Well, running water in the Bible, running water in the Bible is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Rivers of water. You say, you got any scripture of that? What about John 7? At the end of the day of the great feast, Jesus stood forth and cried, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The next verse is the commentary. And thus he spake of the Holy Ghost, which they should receive. That believed on him. That running water is a picture of the Holy Ghost. I want to tell you, when real revival comes, there'll be a saturation of the Word of God. There'll be a flowing of the Holy Spirit of God and I believe ladies and gentlemen if we'll dig the ditch and build the altar and pay the price God will honor his word hallelujah let me give you one more point and I'll save the rest of this to next Sunday and if I get voted out between now and then I'll come as a guest preacher glory I got to fill in Wednesday Look what the Bible said in verse number 36. And Tom, come up here, son. I want you and Beth to get ready to play that trust and obey. Now watch verse number 36 in your Bible. Glory, glory. Hallelujah. Son, when I saw this, I about had a conniption fit. Look at verse 36. It's so simple. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet I can't see my glasses is fogging up. That Elijah the prophet came near and said Lord God of Abraham Isaac and Israel let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and I am thy servant. I want you to read this last line slow. And that I have done all these things at thy word. I'm going to tell you what brought the fire of God. God's man was completely obedient.
obedient to what God had spoke to him about. We had a family in our church many, many years ago, and this this particular person was always wanting to do something big. I mean, he wanted to do something big, something big, something big, something big, something big. And I said to him one day, I said, son, before you ever attempt to do something big, you might want to show up for Sunday school. Before you do something big, you might want to come back on Sunday night. Before you do something big, you might want to come back on Wednesdays. Before you do something big, why don't you take care of the little things in your life? And very sincerely, he said to me, but Brother Joe, tithing, praying, coming to church, being a witness seems so small. It seems so insignificant. I want to do something big. Boy, the Holy Ghost gave me the answer as sure as my name is Joe Arthur. As sure as Tom Allen is sitting up there on that piano. Just as sure as we've been dug in them ditches and saturating them waters. God, give me the answer. I said, son, let me quote you a verse of scripture. When you and I stand before the Lord... And give an account for our life. He's not going to say, well done thy good and successful servant. And he's not going to say, you've been faithful over the big things. I'll make your rulers over men. No, 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 no. Can you quote the verse for me? Well done thy good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'm going to tell you, brother, before God lets you do something big, you're going to have to get the small things in your life. And I'm going to tell you something, brother, going to church, being a soul winner, paying your tithes, living for God, that's the little things. But you take care of them little things. And one day God will breathe on you and let you do the big thing. If you was at the Smoky Mountain Jubilee last week, I believe Ralph Sexton preached the best sermon I've ever heard him preach. Tyler Galden preached a home run. Winston knocked a grand slam. I told him, any boy named after a pack of cigarettes ought to be able to preach. Say amen right there. I've picked at that boy his whole life. But Brother C.T. Townsend's message on Friday night, I told Miss Arthur, every young preacher in America should have heard that sermon because in that sermon he revealed why God has used him like he has he said when I was a young college student I didn't understand how all them other college boys was going out to preach and how all of Brother Brown's staff was going off to preach And it seemed like everybody had a place to preach but little old C.T. And he said, I was about half aggravated about it. So one day when nobody was there, I went to the auditorium and I got on the altar. And I said, and he said, I called about 10 or 12 names. God, they got somewhere to preach. And they got somewhere to preach. And they got somewhere to, and I ain't got nowhere. God, do you even still know my name? 
And he said, CT, I've not called you to go off and preach right now. I've not called you to hold revivals right now. I've not called you to go do fill-in work right now. I have called you to be a servant to Dr. R. Larry Brown. I have called you to mop toilets, vacuum floors, and wash cars, and clean out the backs of pews. And just let me say, if you've never cleaned out the backs of these pews, it would amaze you, Sergeant Carter and Gomer, what they find in there. Jeffrey says, amen to that. We found some lottery tickets, and I got them, but they didn't work. And he said, I walked in Larry Brown's office on the Monday morning and said, Preacher Brown, I'm not surrendering to preach. I'm not surrendering to fill in. I'm not surrendering to be an evangelist. I am surrendering to mop the toilets and mop the floors and vacuum the carpet and unclog the pews of Victory Baptist Church on Martintown Road in North Augusta, South Carolina. And he said in that message, when I surrendered to do the small minuscule things, he said it wasn't long till I began to preach revivals and began to do the fill-in. And that young man is blessed today because he took care of the small things in his life. I dream big. I want to do something big. We all want to do something big. But God ain't going to let us soar with the eagle until we walk in the Holy Ghost and walk in the power of God. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, take care of them small things in your life and God will take care of the big stuff. Bloom where you planted. I believe I got some scripture for that, Shane. Humble yourself in the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due season. You know what brought the power of God? The Bible said Elijah could say, I've done it all. I've been, obedient. I've been completely obedient. I've done it all. And Brother Marios, I don't know about your people, but our people try to complicate the Christian life. And what's the secret to victory? What's the secret to being anointed? What's the secret to being used? It's simple. One word. Talk to me. Obedience. Well, I wish God would give me more light. Will you take this real kindly? You ain't lived up to the light you already got. You don't need no more light. Because the more light you got, the more responsible you are to living in that light. Instead of praying for more light, we need to pray for more grace to live up to the light. Obedience. 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 Well, I know a feller that can't preach a lick. God just blesses him all the time. He's obedient. I've heard people get up and sing. They want no more night of the note than I'm now to being a Catholic. But they had the anointing of God on them because they were obedient. I'm here to tell you, God ain't looking for greatness. Talent and ability. The world's got greatness, talent and ability. That's what I tell these churches that want to do the rock music. Man, I don't want to hear, if, if I'm going to hear that, I'm going to pay to hear the professionals. I don't want to hear some redneck in the mountains of North Carolina sing a Sandy Patty song in Hebrew, and they can't even speak English. 
You ought to hear a North Carolina redneck saying, El Shaddai. And I love that song. But a North Carolina redneck, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Hami, Dami, Dami, Dami. You don't know Hebrew, don't sing it. God ain't looking for greatness, Matt. He ain't looking for talent and abilities. He just wants somebody willing to obey him. Boys, God's just looking for somebody that'll say yes to him. I've been singing this song for a couple of days in light of this message. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. I like that line, what he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear but to trust and obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Will you do what God's laid out in his word? If we're all to get obedient, it's unreal at the manifestation of the power of God.